today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Probably most believers have had problems. Have some problems been bigger than others? Of course. There's no doubt about that. But beloved, don't forget the promises of God in your life. Don't negate the power of God working in your life, even in the midst of these things that seem to be so overwhelming. We need to get our eyes on that promise of the Lord. All of us have had problems in our lives, and some of them are of our own making. Poor decisions, sin, failing to seek the Lord, all of these things can lead to difficult circumstances. But in today's message, Pastor David encourages us to keep our eyes not on the problem, but on the God of our problems. God has made tremendous promises to us, and He will fulfill them even in the midst of consequences from our poor decisions. If we keep our eyes on Him and His promises... He will carry us through all of life's problems. Now, here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The God of Our Battles. the book of Joshua, book of Joshua. I invite you to turn there if you would. Last time we were in the book of Joshua, chapter 9, it was the time when the uh, the Gibeonites, remember they had uh, kind of uh, uh, disguised themselves, came into the camp of Israel and said, oh, we're from far, far away and we want to be your friends. Well, in reality, they weren't so far away. As a matter of fact, they were fairly close. They were one of the people that the Israelites were going to wipe out. But as we read in I, uh, in Joshua chapter 9, verse 4, says that they worked craftily and they went and they pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins, torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and all the bread and their provisions was, was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him, to men of Israel, we've come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. You know, let's make peace together because we're of no threat to you. So let's make peace. And the problem is the disguise, the uh, deceit worked and Joshua and the leadership, they fell for it. And the word tells us pretty plainly in chapter nine, verse 14, that Joshua and the leadership, they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. The rulers of the congregation swore to them, and it happened at the end of three days after they had made that covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Hindsight is beautiful, isn't it? You know, uh, they have the saying that hindsight is always twenty twenty. We make decisions, we go directions, and then 
three days later, three weeks later, three years later, we realized, you know, that wasn't the smartest plan in my life. Maybe I should have went uh, another direction. Maybe I should have done something else. Maybe I should have asked the Lord before I took those steps and before I made those decisions. And now Israel found themselves in a situation, well, in essence, they couldn't laugh their way out of. They they had made a covenant agreement with the people of Gibeon. And, and now, because Joshua was a man of his word, because he was a man who wanted to honor God in his life, they kept to the agreement. They kept to the agreement that they were going to make maintain peace, and not only with those men that had come to them, not only to the city that they had come from, but from the whole people group in that area. Because again, still in chapter 9, down in verse 17, it tells us that included actually four different cities. The cities were Gibeon, and uh, Chephirah, and Biroth, and Jerjath, and Jiram. And so, so the Gibeonites, including all the people from these four cities... They remained with the people of Israel to that day. However, because of their deceit and because they did trick them, uh, Joshua made them to be, verse 27 says he made them to be woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So, yeah, you've tricked us, you've deceived us, we're going to protect you, we're going to watch over you, but... You're going to be the woodcutters. You're going to be our water carriers. Uh, and we will take care of you. For the Gibeonites, that actually kind of represented, at least in that study, it represents to us kind of the scars and the luggage that a lot of times we carry because of past decisions. The Gibeonites were with them now forever. They, they had to deal with them. They had to take care of them because they had made a decision. They had made a wrong decision, and they were now living with the consequences of that wrong decision. And we spoke about the fact that that's kind of like, again, the, the consequences that we carry with us. Does God forgive our sin? Yes, he does. But many times we have to walk around, carry around, live with the consequences of that sin. Now, they were there to remind us not only... Of that past sin, but I think even more so, they were there to remind us to look to the Lord. Look to the Lord for continued guidance, to look to the Lord for direction. Don't just trust in our own logic. About the time we begin trusting in our logic, we need to see and remember the Gibeonites that we're carrying with us. Oh, that's the stuff I did on my own. That's the stuff I did on my own power. I really need to seek the Lord in this. So now that we're moving into chapter 10, We're going to see the reality of those consequences and the weight of those past mistakes and the failures in Israel come to fruition. Let me just ask you, be honest. Again, we don't know the details, but are any of you carrying around any scars or luggage from bad decisions in your past? Pretty much most of us. Pretty much most of us. Big or small. I mean, your your Gibeonite might be a little bitty guy that you're carrying around. Some of us carry around, you know, like a huge, huge, uh, you know, uh, piece of luggage on there. But but nearly all of us have some scars, some luggage from decisions and choices that we made in the past that we still need to deal with. So here in chapter 10, we're going to be able to see how the Lord himself actually will help us to overcome these things. How the Lord himself in his might and in his strength, when we allow him to, will take even our failures and bless us encourage us and strengthen us in our walk as long as we, again, honest before him and surrendered to him. There, there, if there's one thing 
that I want you to get out of this study tonight is these three things, okay? Number one, God, through faith in Christ, forgives us all our trespasses. That means that God forgives us all our trespasses, all our sin, all our failures, all our mistakes. In Christ, He forgives it all. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, he says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he's taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Through Christ, as we give our lives to Christ, do we have failures in the past? Yes. Do we have struggles from the past? Yes. But in Christ, we can have victory even in the midst of those things. That's number one. Number two, even forgiven sin will sometimes bear consequences in our lives. Even forgiven sin will sometimes bear those consequences in our lives. You can think of David. David, the uh, again, uh, the man whose heart and desire was for God in such a strong way. And God says, man, it's a, he's, a, he's a man after my own heart. He's, he's the apple of my eye. And, and yet David, with his sin with Bathsheba, uh, he bore the consequences of that. Did God forgive him that sin of not only the adultery with Bathsheba, but then really setting up for the murder of Uriah the Hittite? Yeah, God forgave him both of those egregious sins, and yet because of his heart broken before God, God forgave him. And yet, even in the midst of the forgiveness, he had consequences in his life that he dealt with. We could look at men like Jacob. We could uh, go through and, and see a multitude of men, both Old Testament and New, that though their sin was forgiven, there were things that they had to live with because of those things. The third thing that I want you to understand, that even in the midst of that, the Lord will give us strength to bear these things and to have victory over them. To bear them and to have victory over them. Maybe not remove them, but to bear them and have victory over them. It's like the old saying goes, sometimes the storms in our life, sometimes the Lord takes us around the storms, sometimes the Lord removes the storms, but more often than not, He walks with us through the storms. And in many cases, we're going to see that. Are there situations that Israel has to deal with because of their sin, because of their rebellion? Yes. But is God willing to deal with them? Absolutely. That's what we're going to see in chapter 10 of Joshua tonight. So let's take a look at what the Scripture says here. As we look uh, beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 10 of Joshua. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zadak, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all of its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zadak, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debar, king of Eglon, saying, 
come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites and the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, they all gathered together and went up, they and all of their armies, and they camped before Gibeon, and they made war against it. First here we see Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem. It's interesting, his name means Lord of Righteousness. Adonai Zedek, he's kind of a similar name to Melchizedek who was the prince of Salem. They look and they say, Adonai Zedek, he's the king of Jerusalem. Uh, Melchizedek was the, the prince of Salem, or the king of Salem. These were more than likely the same places. Could Adonai Zedek be within the, uh, related in some way to Melchizedek? We don't know. The interesting thing about Melchizedek, uh, his name simply means the king of righteousness, but Adonai Zedek is the lord of righteousness. Well, here Adonai Zedek, he understands that this new tribe of people that have come into the land of Canaan, they're growing stronger, and now they've made this pact with the people of Gibeon. He has no idea how this has all come about, but he's heard about this confederacy that's been forged with these people. And even as mighty a fortress as Jerusalem was, even in that day, he realized that Gibeon was no small group to contend with, even on their own. But now they've joined together with Israel. Gibeon, as it says here, Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. It was even greater than Ai, and it says all of its men were mighty. And now they forged together, and they're already coming now as a threat with the army of Israel. So Adonai Zedek, he calls all these other kings to come along, these kings of these little cities. And again, as I shared at the beginning of Joshua, we think of kings and kingdoms, we think of large land masses, but that's not the way that they were here. It would be a large city or a good-sized city or an area, but not the kind of kings that we think about. These are just the leaders, the power brokers of these cities. He calls them all together, Hoham the king of Hebron, and Piram the king of Jarmuth, and Japhia king of Lachish, and Deber king of Eglon. These five kings come all together, and they go down to Gibeon. They go down and they want to take them out as quick as possible. Because I know, man, if, if we wait until the Israelites get there, uh, we'll be in real trouble. So they go down, they converge upon them, but apparently a, a Gibeon messenger slipped out the back door, went on down to Gilgal and told Joshua again that uh, that they're coming uh, against them. And they went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal. They said, don't leave us here by ourselves. You need to come quickly because we're being attacked by all of the kings of the Amorites. There in verse 6, the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying, don't forsake your servants. Come to us quickly. Save us, help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Because Joshua and the people of Israel vowed a vow. They made this covenant agreement with these people to maintain peace, not only them with them, but also to protect them and cover over them. Now, he could have delayed his response. He could have said, okay, we'll be there in the next day or two. I'll fulfill my vow in the next day or two. I'll live up to my covenant with you, but, you know, it's going to take us a while to get everybody together, uh, and by then the Gibeonites would be gone. They wouldn't have had to worry about them anymore. You realize he could have done that. 
He could have even ignored their request. But because Joshua was a man of his word, he was a man of honor, because he had promised before God that he would do this thing, that he would protect these people, he went to assist them. This time, apparently, Joshua did seek the mind of the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, and it's because Gilgal was down in the plains there, the the flat area of the Jordan Valley. They had to go up the mountain to get to uh, Gibeon. They ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to him, don't fear them. For I've delivered them into your hand, and not a man of them will stand before you. Joshua, therefore, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. That's commitment. I don't know if you see that commitment, but this guy came and says, you've got to help us because they're going to kill us. And he rallied the troops. They marched all night to get there. Now, when you think about it, if you're going to go into battle... Do you want your men to march all night and then go into battle? That doesn't make much sense. But God had encouraged him and strengthened him and said, don't fear this thing, just go and I'll take care of this. So Joshua, again, a man of commitment, a man of honor, the leader, gathers all of his warriors and all night long they march up to get up to Gibeon. When you have that kind of a word going for you and you know the backing of God in your life, Why would you fear? If you know that God is for you, you know that God is leading you, you know that God has promised to protect you and watch over you and keep you, why why would you stop? Really, if God has declared to you that he would fight this battle for you, wouldn't it have been kind of silly for for Joshua to stop in the pursuit, to, to just roll up in the fetal position and sing some kind of song of woe, saying, oh, you know, woe is me, woe is me, or gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. And yet some Christians do that. Some of us as believers will do that. When the enemy comes, we're so overwhelmed by it. Rather than being bold in Christ and understanding, you know what? I'm a child of the King. My God is greater by far than anything that's going to come and attack me. I think we all know some Christians who, when the enemy comes, they just fall all apart. Or they walk in continual gloom and despair without the joy, without the fullness of the Lord. Does that mean that they're the only ones that have had problems in their lives? No, I think that probably most believers have had problems. Have some problems been bigger than others? Of course. There's no doubt about that. But beloved, don't forget the promises of God in your life. Don't negate the power of God working in your life, even in the midst of these things that seem to be so overwhelming. We need to get our eyes on that promise of the Lord. Look at these with me for a moment as we pause here from Joshua 10. Look with me at a couple of verses. Isaiah 54, 17. Turn there if you would or you can write it down. Isaiah 54, verse 17. The word declares there that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage, what? 
of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness, Lord says, is from me. My righteousness isn't because I'm always doing the right thing. My righteousness is found in Christ. And the enemy is going to come and he's going to point out this failure and that failure and, and that scar and that piece of luggage that I'm carrying. And say, see, you can't do these things. And he's going to bring in an attack and he just expects us as believers to kind of fold up in that fetal position and just not do anything. But yet the word of God tells us that no weapon that's formed against you will stand. That there's no judgment that's going to come to you. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now you might say, yeah, pastor, that's, that's really a great verse, but that's an Old Testament verse. Isn't that just for Israel? Well, the principle is no doubt, I believe, for all the servants of the Lord. But to help you grab that a little bit better, let's look at a few New Testament verses, if you would. Go to Romans chapter 8, a very familiar verse, or at least it should be. I want it to be very familiar verse to you. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 37. Paul writes that in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me stop right there. We, as believers, as believers in Christ, as men and women and young people who have given their hearts and life to Christ, Paul says that we are more than conquerors. And how is that even possible? Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. And then he goes on to say, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you and I are being attacked by the enemy, or there is a battle in front of us, and we're, man, I've got to be pressing into this thing. We need to be able to press in with great boldness. And the courage that comes from the Lord, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord through him who loved us. It's not only in Romans, but look down in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 57. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, Paul writes again. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, that's not just an Old Testament understanding. That's a New Testament lifestyle that you and I can walk in victory rather than the overwhelming burden of the attack of the enemy that can come on us at any point in time, that we can walk as victors. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, he says, when the enemy comes and pushes, you stand. When the attack of the enemy comes against you, you remain immovable. Because your strength is in him, in the Lord. Your strength is found in the Lord who loves you, who has the might, who has the power to surround you and to keep you and to uphold you. He's the one who knows every situation that you're going through right now. He knows tomorrow.
Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the book of Joshua next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now, here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting the open word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. Thanks, Tracy. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the book of Joshua. That's next time on The Open Word.